At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. How many thank God for His Word? How many praise God for His Word? Well... Today we're going to join Jesus and his disciples back in the upper room. It is apropos that we took communion today because the first communion is about to take place in the pages that we will be reading over the next several weeks. We are in this farewell discourse that's taking place in the upper room. We have just really started getting into the heart of the conversation they had that night. Imagine one night with the king. Imagine one night with your Lord and Savior where he is at his best in giving his finest of teachings. And what we're going to find today is Jesus unpacking for us the mystery, the divine mystery of the Trinity and the ministry of the Holy Spirit more particular. So I want you to open up to John chapter 14, John chapter 14. And as you do, let me ask this question. How many by the show of hands appreciate really good advice? Show me your hands. How many appreciate really, really good advice. It's better than the alternative, isn't it? Uh, The fact of the matter is most of us, if not all of us, crave good advice. As a matter of fact, I recently read a study that 59% of Americans have an advisor in one of the three big areas, either a financial advisor or health or fitness coach or advisor or relationship counselor or coach. Why do we do this? It's because we love getting good advice and counsel. We recognize the limitations of our own abilities and we need uh, some help in those key areas. Now, how much are we willing to pay for that? Well, it depends on what field it's in. I used to be a financial advisor. Let me just tell you that financial advisors make, make good money. On average, a financial advisor will get about $750 per hour for their advice. If you are in the uh, health and fitness, they'll, they'll be a little bit less uh, for that field. If you're in the field of relationship counseling, about $250 an hour, we're willing to pay thousands of dollars a year for good advice. But what if I told you that you can have access to the best advisor the world has ever known? How many would want that? How many would want that to have access to the best advisor? About 10% of you are raising your hand. The rest of you said, no, I'll go it alone. Listen, (laughs) how many would love to have access to the best advisor the world has ever known in every key area of your life? What if I told you that the only price for that is trust, to trust in God, to have faith in him, to trust the testimony of scripture concerning Jesus Christ, to love him, and that you will be promised a gift of this advisor, this counselor. Well, that's exactly what we're going to learn about today, that Jesus sent the Spirit to help us on the way. We're learning what it means to follow Jesus after his ascension after his uh, physical and earthly ministry. And what we're going to see is three things today. The first one starts in verse 15 of chapter 14, and that is the Spirit dwells within us. How many believe that? By the show of hands, how many believe that the Spirit of God indwells you? 
How many believe that? How many believe that, that the Spirit of God is living on the inside of you? Uh, one great book written on this is by Francis Chan, and he writes a book called Forgotten God, and it's about the Holy Spirit. And he helps us understand the Holy Spirit being the third person in the Trinity is not an it. He's not a, a force. He is a person. And if we were to spend time trying to unpack all of what uh, is to be knowable about the triune God, it is inexhaustible. Because we are not God, we will never fully exhaust our understanding of his nature. But if you want to understand God sufficiently, all you have to do is know Scripture. Scripture gives us all that we need to know about God, to experience redemption and life with him and to experience his empowerment and his love in our life. I love what Francis Chan says in his book, The Forgotten God. I, I, I copied this quote. It says this, those of us who believe in Jesus would never deny the truth that we have the spirit of the living God, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead living in us. Now again, how many believe that you have the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you? Amen? But he goes on to say, I'm just not convinced that we, under, uh, we have rather internalized this truth and enjoy his blessings as he fully intended. What is Francis Chan getting at? He is getting at the truth that there's a difference between intellectually affirming something and actually internalizing it. Now, the majority of you rose your hand and just declared that I believe the Spirit of God is living in me. That I believe that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living within me. What are the implications of that? What's the implications that the Spirit of God is living in you? That means that no devil in hell can stop what God is doing in you. That means no enemy, no foe, no force that comes or marshals itself against you is powerful enough to unseat the King of glory who has taken over the throne of your life. That means that we have no reason to fear for if God is for us, who can be against us? There's so much truth in that. And I pray that we would not fall into the category of those folks who affirm it with our heads, but don't believe it in our hearts. Look with me in verse number 15. Jesus says these words, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I love those words. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will, not, will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Jesus says so many powerful things. I don't want you to miss the first connection that he makes in verse number 15 between love and keeping my commandments. If you love me, you will express it through obedience. If you love me, it won't just be a warm and fuzzy thing. This is important because Jesus connects commandment keeping to loving him. 
You know, we live in a culture that wants to throw away any type of doctrine, any type of commandment to say, man, that's not worth uh, arguing about. That's certainly not worth uh, really centering your life upon. All Jesus really wants for us to do is just love people. I was watching a popular news anchor recently, and it's always interesting to me when news anchors take a stab at being theologians. Typically, that doesn't go well. Some have been trained, and praise God for them, but this one certainly was not, and and uh, he used an opportunity to, to try to bifurcate or separate the command of God from this love thing. He says, hey, you don't have to try to worry about these old, ancient, outdated, obsolete commandments. You just need to go about loving people as as we define it as the implication. And you know, you and I would define love at a woefully lower level than what God defines love. How does God define love? He defines it as his commandments. And if we love him, what we will do, here will be our life, we will dedicate the rest of our lives to searching out his commandments to to live them. We will dedicate the rest of our lives to trying our best to know his commandments so that I can live out his commandments so that I can express love in the way that he wants me to express love. I don't want to give the people I love something they don't want because it does not affirm my love for them. It actually does the opposite to tell them you really don't know me. And so it is with Jesus. He doesn't want us to love him on our own basis, the way that we think, because when we love him on our own basis, how many know that we prioritize our preferences, our conveniences? We do what we want to do. But if we're going to love Jesus according to the way that he wants us to be loved, the way he wants to be loved, he's removed all the mystery. He's left the commandments. I tell my wife all the time, honey, I'm terrible at reading minds, but if you tell me what to do, I'm great at obedience. Right? So if you're waiting for me to read your mind, I'm not going to do it real well. But if you tell me what to do, I can follow orders with the best of them. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. I don't want it to be a mystery. Here's my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now therein lies the rub though. The difficulty is that this might be the most challenging statement Jesus makes in all of Scripture. How in the world am I going to keep his commandments? Have you noticed that? That the more you study his commandments, the more you understand what it takes to love him, the more you realize how uh, inadequate you are? You, you know, I don't, I don't hardly ever read the Bible and its commandments and walk away patting myself on the back saying, boy, Chris, you're really out doing it. Very rarely am I reading scripture, walking away, feeling puffed up and proud at how well I'm loving God and loving my neighbor. I find myself falling short all the time. You know, this week has been an interesting week around the Brooks household. Uh, we're learning a powerful lesson, and the lesson that me and my kids are lear- learning afresh and anew is uh, the lesson of serving others. My wife had uh, Achilles surgery. She had had a partial tear in her Achilles for months and been living in pain. Finally, uh, the surgery was scheduled, and so she had the surgery, and now we're in that four to six week window where she is kind of uh, to uh, not put 
put weight on it. She's for the most part uh, just kind of propped up elevating her feet. And so that means that uh, dad has to pick up more and I ain't going it alone, folks. I, I marshaled those kids and said, we got five of y'all for a reason. I want y'all to gather up and it's gonna be go team. We all have to serve. Whatever mom needs, we're here to do. And I'm amazed. I mean, I'm amazed at all that she does. Yesterday, I tried to pick up some of her responsibilities, picking up, dropping off. I was cleaning up behind those kids all day. And it was just uh, so defeating after a day of cleaning up behind them, coming to the conclusion, it don't matter. It don't matter how much I clean. This place is going to be dirty no matter what I do. I've given up. I've totally given up, but I'm putting them to work. But the reality is, is that the more I serve this woman I love, and I love her more than anyone else in the world, this side of heaven, the more I realize how self-centered I am. The more you strive to love as Jesus loves, the more you're going to be confronted with the reality that this is the impossible charge. This is the impossible commandment. How in the world am I supposed to love God with all my being? And how in the world am I supposed to keep his commandments? Jesus knew this dilemma, and this is why he gave us verse 16. And he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Praise God. I can wipe the sweat from my brow. I don't have to do this alone. Praise God, friends. This is the greatest, greatest gift that you've ever received is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, this word that is used for helper in the Greek is paraclete. Now, we'll know that word para because it means to come alongside, like the word parallel, two lines running alongside one another. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, comes alongside of us to enable us, to empower us to do what we otherwise could not do without his help. I am not helpless. So when I come across a commandment of God to love my neighbor who I may not even like, I can do it because I have a helper. When I come across a commandment that tells me to love my children, I can do it because I have a helper. When I come across a commandment that tells me to love my spouse, I can do it because I have a helper. When I come across a commandment that tells me to love and forgive my enemies, I can do it, not because of them, but because of him. Not because of me, but because I have a helper. There is no commandment that God has given to me or you that we cannot do. Why? Because we have a helper. And if you really got that, you'd be praising God right now, thanking him for the help that he gives. The truth of the matter is sometimes we don't want help. Sometimes we don't want help. I was talking to my assistant the other day, and you know, I'm not big into technology, and she was trying to teach me how to use some particular application. And I said, listen, I don't want to be empowered right now. I'm, I'm very content with you doing it. Right? How many have ever run up against those moments where you don't want help? You don't want to be empowered, right? And that's the challenge for us. There are certain times we don't want to be empowered, but I'm telling you that there's grace for you. There's grace for you to love a difficult spouse. There's grace for you. 
There's grace for you to go into work every day in a hard workplace. There's grace for you. There's the grace you need in order to endure hardship as a good soldier. There's grace for you. There's grace to go out on the mission field and serve Jesus. There is grace for you to stand up and boldly proclaim the truth and the love of Jesus Christ in a lost and weary world. There is grace for us if we'll receive it. Another way of translating this word, Pericles, is not just helper, but uh, comforter, counselor, encourager. Depending on your translation, you may have one of those titles inserted here, and they all describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly who he is. Not only do you get the best advisor, you get the best comforter. You get the best encourager the world has ever known. And he says that, uh, I will send you another helper. The Greek word there is alos. The word alos means another of the same kind. Another of the same kind. Now we know, I heard a preacher describe it this way, we know the difference between another of a different kind and another of the same kind. Imagine for a moment if I went in and bought a book and I read it and I was eager to read it and you came and asked me, what did you think of that book? And I told you it was terrible, it was horrible. I didn't like it at all. I'm gonna go back to the bookstore and get another book. What am I talking about? Another of a different kind. But what if you came to me and said, how'd you like that book? And I said, I loved it. It was the best book I've ever read. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna go and get another one. What am I talking about now? Another of the same kind. Jesus wants us to understand that the Holy Spirit of God is another of the same kind. This is Trinitarian teaching at its best. The Holy Spirit is no subordinate uh, being. He is the same as God the Father, God the Son in essence. That's the beauty of the triune God, that we serve a God, three in person, one in being. And it's a mystery that will be unfolded for us in eternity with God. But for now, what you need to embrace and understand is that you have the Spirit of the living God inside of you. And how long will he be with you? Forever. Everybody say that with me. Forever. Forever. Then he goes on to describe me this way. Even the spirit of truth, spirit will never deceive you. You always align with the word. The word and spirit agree. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees me nor knows, knows him. You know him for he dwells within you and will be in you. Notice that the key to seeing the ministry of the Holy Spirit is trust and belief. You know him because you love him. You believe in him. There are many who do not see the work and the ministry, the enabling power of the Holy Spirit because they simply don't believe in him. They don't love him. They don't trust him. But if you trust him and love him and believe in him, the ministry of the Holy Spirit will be alive in you. And let me advise our church to not be afraid of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to wake up every morning praying for the active ministry of the Holy Spirit to be present in your life. Pray that the Spirit will be on the move in and through you. Pray that his comfort, his encouragement, his counsel will be at work in you and to the people that he has called you, or called you to minister to, that his Spirit will work through you to do what you could not do without him. Then he goes on to address fatherlessness. He says in verse number 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I love this. He says, I won't leave you alone in this world. 
I will be with you. The Holy Spirit is gonna parent you and guide you. What an encouraging word because maybe you didn't have a parent. Maybe you didn't have a father who taught you how to tie a tie. Maybe you didn't have a mother who took you in her arms when you fell down and bruised yourself. Maybe you didn't have parents who embraced you like you should, like they should have. What uh, Jesus is saying here is all that, all of that and so much more the Holy Spirit will do for you. He will teach you. He will comfort you. He will hold you. He will guide you. You will not live the life of an orphan. We have a father. Yet a little while and the world will, will see me no more, but you will see me because I live you also will live. And then he says this mystery. He speaks in a new way than what he's ever spoken before. He's always said to them that he was sent from the Father, that he was in the Father and the Father was in him. But now he's saying, not only is he in the Father, but we are in him. When we trust in him, we are baptized into Christ. We are in him. Our union with Christ empowers us to be able to live on mission for him. And it would take days, eras, and epochs to unfold all of this. But praise God, because of our faith in him, how many know we got a, a promise of eternity with God? We'll fully understand. We will be fully known and we will fully know in his presence. And how many are looking forward to his return? Verse 27 goes on to remind us that the spirit keeps us in truth. He goes on to say, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will be kept. He will keep, rather, my word, and uh, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And then he goes on to say, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I love this because Jesus, again, is connecting love to obedience, but now he's doing it for a different reason. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandment. Three times he's already said it in these few verses that we've just read. Why did he have to reiterate himself? Again, this is not Jesus being forgetful at all. This is not Jesus being redundant or repetitive for redundancy's sake. This is Jesus doing something that they needed deeply in their hearts. There's certain times God will repeat something to you and me because we need to hear it again and again and again. Some of you need to hear that you're loved again and again and again because it heals you every time. Some of you need to know you're forgiven again and again and again. Some of you need to know that he is giving you grace and mercy. You need to hear it again and again and again. They needed to hear that if they loved him, they would keep his commandments. Why? Because he had just told them a few verses back, one of you is gonna betray me. And all of them began to say, is it me? Am I the unfaithful one, Lord? Am I the one that's gonna fall short? Imagine the insecurities that that provoke within them. What he wanted to do is comfort them and to say, listen, if you love me, don't be afraid. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is Jesus comforting them. And I find it amazing that on the night in which he knew he was gonna be betrayed, 
He also recognized that they weren't in a place to comfort him, but he comforts them. God always comforts us. He never leaves us without comfort. He told them these things before they happened so that they would know he would keep them. And he tells us through his word, there will be perilous times in the last days. Men will be lovers of themselves. They will call right wrong and wrong right. And they will uh, be uh, angry and, and violent. All of these things the Bible prophesies. You will be persecuted and, and, and prosecuted and even some executed. All of these things the Bible predicts. But he tells us in advance for our comfort to let us know that he will keep us. Friends, it took the power of God to save us and it will take the power of God to keep us. But here's the good news. He promises the power will be there by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Nothing that is to come should shake us or rattle us in the least bit because he has already overcome the world. He is already victorious and has already overcome the world. So take heart. And know that he will not leave us as orphans in this world, but he will be with us and he will make his home in us. Notice what he says, if we love him, the Father will love us. Can you just say this with me? The Father loves me. Say it again, the Father loves me. You need to get that deep in your heart that you are loved an all-powerful, never-changing, almighty God who loves you and knows you. And this is the amazing thing because in our world, we're afraid that the more someone knows us, the less they're gonna love us. But God, omniscient, knows us fully and loves us still. It's a perfect love. And perfect love does what? It casts out all fear. Don't be afraid. There's nothing you can do. I love and take heart in the omniscience of God that he knows all things. As a matter of fact, he knew my sin before I ever committed it, before evil thought ever came into my head, before I made the mistake, before I said what I shouldn't have said or went where I shouldn't have went or clicked what I shouldn't have clicked or done, done what I shouldn't have done. Before we made any mistake, he knew us and still he chose to redeem us, to save us, to love us, take heart in that. Nothing will be able to stop God from loving you. Well, he goes on to say he will teach us that the Spirit teaches us truth. Look at what it says, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you and bring to your remembrance, rather, all that I have said to you. Now, this is important. This is the reason why we believe the word of God is inerrant, inspired, infallible. It's because of this promise that he gives to the apostles that the Holy Spirit would bring to their remembrance all the teachings of Christ and he would do it perfectly and they penned it perfectly and now we have the perfect record of the teachings of Christ. This is a divine book. This is the word of the living God penned by man but superintended by the Holy Spirit and trust worthy in all manners. Amen? And then he goes on to say, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, 
do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, I want to just stop here because I think this is the crux of what Jesus is doing. He is comforting them. And he wants to comfort us today. Do you want shelter from a corrupt world? Trust in him. You want shelter from the heartache of human relationships? Trust in him. You want the grace that can fortify you when all the world seems to be falling apart? Trust in him. He's the only one that can keep our hearts, that can keep our souls, that can keep our lives held together. There are some of you that are in here today and you've been around church, but you haven't trusted in him yet. There's some of you that are here right now and you've heard preaching, but you haven't trusted in him yet. Let me declare that if Jesus is risen from the dead, if he died for you and defied death, hell, and the grave and rose on the third day, then he is worthy of our trust. He is worth believing in. So today I want to encourage you to believe in him. And if you do, I want you to know there's a promise for you, the great promise of the Holy Spirit who will come and who will guide us. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters as we prepare to close in worship, God. I pray that today those who don't know you will come to know you. Lord, we didn't gather this morning just um, out of routine. We gather with expectation, with a prayer request that you would save those who need your love, that you would show grace to those who are far from you, that you would bring close, Lord, those who, Lord, need salvation. So, Lord, if there be anyone in here today that have yet to trust in you, I pray that you would do your saving work. And, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh and anew. May we leave here knowing that we are empowered by you. We thank you for all that you've done and for all that you're doing and for all that you will do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Come on and give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.